People in this town, in Hollywood, really only care about what you're creating, not what you want to do. Nobody's really looking for the next hit script from an unknown person. Hollywood only bets on proven things. They're not betting on unknown talent, so you have to go out there and constantly be making stuff. And every time we do this, we're unbelievably surprised with what ends up happening as a result. This is the Act One Podcast. I'm your host, James Duke. Thank you for listening in today. If you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a good review. My guest today is filmmaker Vince Michelli. Vince's latest film, Faith Based, is available now on video on demand and digital platforms everywhere. Faith Based is a comedy about two friends who set out to make a film to capitalize on the lucrative Christian movie industry. In our conversation, Vince and I talk about the making of the film, as well as the controversy that surrounded it. Hey, Vince, thanks so much for joining us. It's good to see you, bud. Yeah, you too, man. Glad to do this. Congratulations. So technically, we're recording this on the day that your new film has arrived in digital platforms all over the world. Is that is that the way we're saying that? Yeah, it's, well, technically it's a North American release today, October 9th, which is still, uh, and, and Japan, oddly enough, those are the two places it's coming out today. North, and then, North, North America and Japan, very cool. Yeah, you can see the link there, right? That's, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, yeah, I woke up and it was a super exciting day to have uh, people posting about the fact that they either watched it late last night or starting to starting to get it, which is super cool. Um, very exciting. So the film is called Faith Based. And uh, I, I had a chance to see see a, a early screening of it, which it's a very funny film. For those of you who like, I, is it safe to call it a raunchy comedy? I mean, it's not raunchy, raunchy, but it does have some uh, um, uh Language. It's got some language and a, and a very mild amount of drug use. Um, but like other th- that's like why we would get an R rating. Uh, aside from that, it's not raunchy. So that's what would you, you know, say? Maybe. What, what, how did the rating thing work with this? What did, what did it, how, what are they giving you guys? Well, it's technically unrated, but um, just knowing how the rating system works just based off a of language alone we'd get an R because we have a lot of F bombs and yeah. such. It's, it's a, it's a very funny film. Thank and you. For those of us who are Christians and who have grew up in uh, the evangelical world, it is very biting satire. It is. I think I told you this when we first watched it, there are a couple of scenes that are so painful. It's like watching an episode of the office when you just know you just know you shouldn't do it and there are certain scenes in this film it's just so painful to watch in a in a good funny way but it's still so painful because it is so close to reality for i think a lot of us unfortunately and uh, i think that's part of the fun of the film i mean you guys are i think you guys do a very good job at poking fun at the things that should be poked fun at. Would that be the a good way to say it? 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know what, as, as another Christian who's been to some of the same churches that I've been to that may or may not have sparked some of the um, ideas for some of these scenes, <laughs> uh, what stood out to you as uncomfortable, but yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's kind of it. We, you know, we, you know, faith-based is about two guys who realize all, all faith-based movies make a bunch of money and decide to make their own. And of course they're not Christians and they're not filmmakers. So the initial idea was, um, it came from a joke when we were Luke, my partner who wrote, wrote the movie and who stars in it. Um, we were pitching a bunch of projects after our first film came out, Fear Inc. And, um, you know, we didn't hit it big. We didn't hit it rich after Fear Inc. Like we thought we were going to. Uh, and so we were kind of going from meaning to meaning, pitching projects. And one of the jokes out of one of those meetings, Luke turned to me and said, why don't we just make a faith-based movie? Because those make a lot of money and then we could fund everything else. And I thought that, I thought the, I thought that was so funny. We were like, why don't we develop that into, into something? And we initially turned it into a TV pitch and then, uh, and then took that and developed it into what is now the movie. But the initial idea was less of like, how do we make fun of Christians or people that believe in, you know, any religion and more of just the idea of the commerce behind faith-based movies and there's commerce behind a lot of different things and and some of which we touch on in the movie um but that was kind of the premise that was you know so any any sort of biting jokes comes out of that like that level of you know just curiosity of why these movies make so much money why do christian why does christian music make so much money and and the content typically is not great so that's that's what we think is pretty funny yeah, it, it's not. The, yeah, let me be clear to anybody who's listening. There's no axe being, you know, there's no axe to grind in this film. Like it, it, this, these aren't two, you know, this is a, a, a bunch of people who are saying, hey, let's go attack um, people of faith. So it, it, it is a means to an end to your overall story of these two lovable losers who mm -hmm. are trying to figure out what to do with their lives and you actually do something that's quite beautiful. I'm not going to give anything away, but they're one of the, one of these lovable losers actually begins to experience things. That's quite beautiful. Like you actually see a little bit of a, of a transition or a transformation in his, in his character, which is, which is really nice. But before I, we get into a little bit of the story of the film, I, I want to go back to just a little bit of this, the, it's so it's so it's out today so people can so where can people uh as soon as they li finish listening to this podcast where can they watch the film so faith based is available anywhere you can rent or buy a movie on vod so um the list is like endless but you could get it on itunes amazon uh google play youtube uh voodoo redbox digital you know comcast direct tv all those places it sort of hit the hit the swath of all of those, so it's it's available on all those places. And yeah, if if you want to see it, hopefully you go check it out. And is it is uh, it playing is it playing in any theaters that are open or any drive-in theaters? Is it is it playing in any of those uh, opportunities? Or the, yeah. So so we had an interesting situation. Um, you know, this year for a lot of people has been pretty uh, kind of a bummer. Uh, 
you know, just with, with COVID and everything else that's going on, we, so we premiered at the beginning of the year and in, in person before all this went down um, and had a whole year of festivals planned that we were going to go to and all of that got canceled. And then we still got a distribution deal, which was great. And, and we sort of signed our deal back in April or May, right? As this stuff was all starting and the deal was theatrical. So we had a theatrical deal, but because, you know, things are still pretty bad, we uh, pulled our theatrical because we didn't want to like, there are some theaters open in the country and uh, we could have done it, but we were like, I think we're thinking it's going to be a loss because like, it's like 25% capacity at these theaters and we don't want to be a part of like pushing people to go into unsafe environments to see our movie. So we pulled it. Uh, but the nice thing is these VOD outlets are still honoring that placement. So when you release a movie on VOD, if it's a theatrical, they'll put it in a different category that says either in theaters or whatever. Um, and so we still have that, which is, which is great, but you can't, yeah, you can't go see it in a theater and in the meantime, we're talking to drive-in bookers right now, trying to see if there's some fun rollout we can do there. You know, we didn't want to push our VOD date since it was already in the works. So it's out now on VOD, and then we may do some fun, like, cool drive-in experience. But, you know, we'll see how that goes, because all that stuff costs money and gets complicated. Yeah, it costs money. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, people... So, so some people listening to this might not fully understand the whole idea of P&A, of print and advertising, but you actually have to pay for what theaters play in there. You know, it used to be an actual film reel, right? And right. now it's a digital, um, it's like a hard drive, right? Or something that you have to ship yeah. to all these theaters for them to play. And you have to pay for that. And so um, in a sense, you know, so you save a little bit of money of not having to ship it all over the country. Uh, but because of COVID, it's weird. It's almost like reverse. So you go come out on VOD first, and then now look at possible possibility of maybe getting into the theater on the back end of things. Uh, it's such a weird time. And you found yourself releasing a film in the midst of this. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about your, just your own kind of what you went through personally as a filmmaker, releasing a film in this time, because it must have been challenging. There's had to have been highs and lows when you found out you weren't going to be able to, this film you've worked incredibly hard on, you're not going to be able to, to sit in a movie theater with 500 other people and watch it with them. I mean, you mentioned you, I think you guys premiered it, was it the Santa Barbara Film Festival? So, yeah. so you do it early on a few times, but, but mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like the idea of sitting in a movie theater with family and friends and even strangers, listening to them to laugh. I mean, it's a comedy. You want people to feel. So kind of, have you, have you had to go through a little bit of a, uh, <laughs> a mourning process? If you oh, know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, look, there are positives and negatives to the way this year happened for, for, for independent filmmakers uh, like myself. And, and the negative is, of course, since I was a kid, I've wanted a film that I directed to be released in theaters and to be able to go to a theater opening night and see people waiting in line or see the poster outside or the name on the marquee, you know, all that stuff I've wanted, I've wanted to experience since I was a kid. And our first film didn't get any theatrical. It went straight to VOD and I've produced a couple projects that had kind of lingering 
limited theatrical releases. So this faith base was going to be the first movie that I directed that was going to be in theaters. And so I had a moment the beginning of the year thinking, this is it. I finally get to go do that. Uh, and then, you know, a, a couple months into the pandemic, we're realizing that's not going to be the case, most likely not going to be the case. Cause back in April, and May, we had no idea how long this thing was going to be going. Right. So we still had a little bit of a lingering hope there. And yeah, that's a, it's a bummer, man. It's a big bummer uh, because, you know, that's a, that's an exciting thing and it is a comedy and it's, it's a lot different seeing somebody's tweet or Instagram story about your movie than it is to feel the vibe in a room. There's just no way to replace that. Um, But having said that, I feel like the, the playing field for filmmakers has completely been leveled this year. So we are now one of five or six movies that, that are being released anywhere in the country today. So that's a completely different situation. Whereas if we were back in normal situation, we'd be one of 20 or 30 movies being released and buried at the bottom of the list because we're a tiny independent film. No matter who's in the movie, we just don't have the ad dollars to get ourselves up the charts where every other studio movie is going to be. So the fact that a lot of these studio movies are spending so much money on their, or have spent so much money on their movies and they keep pushing their release dates has left a wide open window for independent filmmakers to come out with their movies. So that's the positive is now if you go on to iTunes or Amazon or whatever, we're like in the top 10 of a lot of categories because of the fact that, you know, nothing else is coming out, let alone comedies. So we're like, in terms of a comedy, we're the only thing out right now, which is, that's exciting to be any filmmaker that release a movie and to be the one, if you want to see something funny and new this weekend, Faith Pace is a, whether you want to see a movie like ours or not, Faith Pace is your only choice. So that's cool. That's really cool to be able to be in that position. Yeah. You're the, you're the, you're the comedy that instead of potentially a couple of hundred thousand people would have access to in theaters and a limited release, you're now the comedy that a hundred million people have access to through all these platforms. Right. And it's kind of, like you said, it really has flattened everything for everybody. And uh, there's a one-to-one correspondence now between filmmakers and the audience, which is something that we haven't really had for, I mean, I guess you could make the argument that YouTube was really the thing that really helped with that, but COVID, the, the positive benefits that we're seeing as many of the negative benefits we're seeing in our industry, one of the positives is for independent filmmakers, greater access, I think, to audiences for sure. Yeah. Greater access to audiences. And, you know, I think if you're smart now about um, what type of content you want to make, you can go out and film it and release it before any of the studios can do anything. Um, Cause that's like, you know, the studios aren't going to release a $200 million Marvel movie when their only way to make money is VOD, they just won't. So you're not competing with that anymore. And they're not going to put their movies in drive-ins as we've seen with, uh, with some of the studio movies that have tried that. It's like, you can't make, you know, a half a million dollars or a million dollars a weekend for tenant is awful. A half a million dollars to a million dollars or anywhere around that for a movie like faith-based is amazing. So, that's the difference now is now we have 
you know, the ability to sort of go direct to consumer and not have to spend $30 million marketing, you know, a movie that was shot for under a million dollars. And that's exciting because our Myra movie would never be in the top category. Of, you know, people are, everyone's at home. So if you want to rent a movie right now, the only way you really are going to see about that movie is what's on the screen of your Apple TV or your Roku or whatever you're, you're renting your movie off of. And the fact that we're up there with everything else is like, that's cool. And any independent filmmaker has that access now. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the film, which like I said before at the beginning, it's a, it's a very funny film, very irreverent uh, and a fantastic cast. Thanks. Yeah. So you, you directed the film. Did you also produce it? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I directed And, and produced. And so talk a little bit about, the process of getting this film going. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said before, we had initially developed it into a TV pitch, uh, which was kind of just an outline and some ideas sketched out for, for a full season. So the way that we, I work with my business partner, Luke, is we typically, he doesn't, he does, typically doesn't go write something in a vacuum and then come to me and say, Hey, do you want to make this? Usually it's conversations before he'll even touch the page. A lot of conversations. And so faith-based was no different when we were talking about the initial thing was at the beginning of 2019, end of 2018, beginning of 2019, we wanted to go make something. And we were like, what do we have that's, that co that's going to cost us the least amount of money that we can just green light ourselves. And the TV pitch for faith-based was that idea. So we sat down, Luke, myself, and Tanner, the other producer on the movie sat down multiple times and went through the outline and we, we started, you know, boarding scenes, scenes up on a cork board and going through that whole process before Luke even started writing, we kind of, we basically knew the entire outline of the movie. And the initial thought was let's just write an outline and then we're going to go improv this whole thing and do it mockumentary style and see what we get. And then that outline turned into a first draft of the script and we liked the first draft enough that we were like, let's just keep working on this and get to get this into a place where we're happy and then we can still improv on set. So that's kind of how that process worked. But that process started in January of 2019. I think Luke cranked out the first draft in mid February of 2019. Um, we did a few more drafts did a couple table reads, went through that whole process. And then, so that whole thing we're developing together. And then we started shooting end of April, 2019. So it was really fast. Yeah. That's, that's um, really fast. Wow. Very fast to go from literally nothing on a page to shooting the movie in, in four months, is four and a half months. Is that typical for you guys or was no. this the exception? No, that was the exception be again, because the idea was, let's not spend a year in development on a script. The idea was what do we have that we can go shoot? So let's, let's put something together really quickly. Um, and because of the concept of the movie being so like close to our hearts in terms of like what we grew up with and characters that we know, Luke being a version of himself and Tanner being a version of himself and all of us growing up in different versions of this, of this background and being in the church world and knowing these movies, it was, it came together. The script came together pretty easily in that respect, because it was like, we were just tossing out jokes that we, that, you know, when we were developing it, we were tossing out jokes that we 
that we just came to us and we we're like, great, that's well, we're going with that. And great. We're going with that. And it was like, it came together really fast. And yeah, so the, the picture that the, the locked script that we went with was pretty close to what we shot. Although the order of things we kind of changed around and the mockumentary aspect of the movie, which is we did some interviews while we were shooting aren't as scripted. Um, but yeah, I mean, from top to bottom, it's essentially the same thing. And then we changed the ending and did some of those things after we shot um, just based off of like screening and stuff. But yeah. Um, let's nerd out a little bit for the fellow independent. Let's do it. I love nerding independent out. Filmmakers out there. Right, so <laughs> as both a director and a producer, what, what is your struggle? And, and I, and I, you know, feel free to use a different term than struggle, but the balance that you have to strike between being a director, trying to conceptualize what you want to do, looking at these pages, you know, in the development phase, and then also knowing I don't want to spend a penny more than X. Mm -hmm. um, how do you balance? Because you're a good director, Vince. And I'm one of the things that I think I've been most impressed with your films with is your ability to get, you know, all your bang for your buck. And so I'm curious to just, if you can give us a little bit of insight into how you balance the director producer role on these independent films. Yeah, thank you for the compliment, by the way. Um, yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky, um, for sure. Uh, you know, I've produced four features at this point, directed, produced, Fear Inc., produced two movies back to back after that, and then directed and produced Faith-Based. And um, I remember specifically having conversations on the two movies I just produced where I'm having those budget conversations with the director and telling them no multiple times. And uh, that's an interesting place to be in when you're also the director, right? Um, it's it, because I, I have a, I, it's for me, my, you know, I'm not, you know, if you want to look at it like left brain, right brain sort of thinking, I'm not the tip, the typical, whether you want to call it typical or not, director that is just like artsy, doesn't want to think about the numbers, is like a creative, you know, powerhouse that's like everything's pouring out of my head and you guys all around me just have to make it happen. You know, like the Quentin Tarantinos of the world. I'm not like that. I don't direct like that. I don't think like that. Um, I have my moments where I'm like, you know, love being uber creative and not wanting to think about the logistics of it. But just the way my brain works is I'll come up with an idea uh, and then I'm immediately, immediately thinking, how are we going to accomplish that? And sometimes that's a problem in the sense that I, you know, on movies like Faith Based, there are other producers when the time comes to take care of those things and I, I will have a tendency to jump into like, wow, we can't do that because it's going to cost too much money. Um, or I know how many people that's going to require, or we don't have access to that type of equipment, you know, and that's not necessarily, that's an area of growth for me where I want to learn how to shift more on the side of, you know what, this is what I want to do. Let's figure out how to make it work. Because sometimes I think a lot of times those creative challenges when you're butting up against budgetary restrictions or scheduling restrictions, you kind of find a really cool sweet spot and come up with some really cool stuff. Uh, so I don't want to cut myself off at the heels prematurely as the director going, I love this idea. And then the producer and me goes, but I can't do it. So 
that's that you know that's a that's a battle a balance i'm trying to i'm trying to learn and in between fear inc my first film and faith-based i feel like i've grown a lot and and there were moments on faith-based where i was like we just need to do it you know we need to figure it out like the church scenes was were always something that uh were like we've got a crowd of people and a worship band and blah, all these things going on. And, you know, the producers on the movie were constantly like, do we need to do this? Can we cut it out? Can we do something different? Can we, and I, and that was an area I kept pushing back on going, I know this is going to be expensive and challenging, but in order for this to sell, we need to do it. So that was an example of something on faith-based where my director side overtook my producer side, but yeah, it's uh it's a challenge, but it's also a benefit because I do think like a producer. So, you know, the positive side is I'm not going to be going off the rails in terms of budget stuff um, or creative ideas that we can never accomplish. Um, How do you not view that as limiting? In other words, you don't see it as limiting. You see it as what? I see it as a benefit. I mean, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fact that I decided at, at and, and, you know, act one plug. When I joined act one, I decided I need to learn how to produce. I've been wanting to direct my entire life. The reason why I joined act one was because I, I'm like, I need to understand the business of Hollywood so I can create my own content, understand the restrictions, understand the barriers I'm going to be up against and figure out how to work around them uh, or take advantage of them. And that's, you know, that's what I learned. A lot of what I learned in act one was like how, what the challenges are, what the real challenge, not what film school tells you, what, what act one taught me. I specifically remember sitting in rooms going, this is what a waterfall agreement looks like. And if you're a director and you're like, I don't want to know what a waterfall is. That's, um, I think a mistake in this day and age, you need to know that's the end game. A waterfall is like how the money is going to go trickle down through different people. If you don't understand that as a director, you're so out of touch with what I think you could be making. And so instead of sitting on ideas after ideas after ideas, I learned how to produce. And then I thought, great, I've got ideas that are too big for what I can do right now. Let's go make something else. And that's why we're here right now. We had a great we have an amazing script that I've been wanting to make for years since, since we made Fear, Inc. And, you know, it's a, it's a three to five million easily dollar movie. And instead of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to get somebody to give me the money to make that, um, I'm like, let's just go make something. And we knew our restrictions with faith-based and we made sure the script reflected that. And that to me is a huge benefit of thinking like a producer as a director. Uh, I love that. I also, I also think there's this idea that, that art is unlimited when in the truth is, is I think the best art, you know, creatives need limitations, right? We need boundaries. At some point, the artist has to choose the canvas they're going to work on. They have to choose if they're going to use oils or charcoal. Like you have to, at some point, you have to make choices in this process and you can choose to look at those choices of being limiting or you can choose to look at them i think like you said as a benefit what's the best way i can use this what's the best way I, what's the best i can do with this and so a lot of it i think is 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 approaching it with the mentality of of what i can do versus what i can't do and I, and i think that's the big difference i see from a lot of the difference between people who are releasing films 
mm-hmm. and the people who are still sitting around talking about the films they want to make. It, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, it's just, true. Just being honest with you, a lot of, a lot of people aren't doing this because they think it has to be exactly what it is in their minds before they do it. And I can't think of a single project that's ever been exactly. No, <laughs> right? never. It doesn't matter if you're JJ Abrams doing the last star Wars movie, he has restrictions. It's like, come on. Everybody is going to be told no matter what the budget is, you can't do this at some point on any project, multiple points on any project, you're going to be told no. So it doesn't matter if you have all the money in the world or no money, you're going to be faced with restrictions. And I do agree with you. I think, I think having boundaries is incredibly helpful uh, when you're a creative because then you know what, what your playground is and you know where you can't go outside of. And, and that's very, very helpful. And I don't think, I agree with you. I've, I, you know, I've tried to get passion projects off the ground, even with other directors and writers in, in the past several years. And it, those are hard conversations to have where it's like, you know, you go around the, uh, around the horn and no one's jumping at the chomping at the bit to finance the project. And then the conversation inevitably gets to, okay, uh, you want to make this, we're going to have to cut the budget in half or in, in whatever, whatever the budget is, you're going to have to cut it way down. And the, and usually that conversation ends with, them saying, I don't want to do that. And none of those movies have been made yet. And so, and it doesn't mean you have to like chomp your vision in half and not like do the movie you want to make. I think you have to just realize as a filmmaker, if you have a project that you've got a very specific vision for, and you know, you can't do it for a certain amount, there's no reason you can't keep that project and set it aside and then develop something else that you can go make for cheaper that will then help get that more expensive thing made or cut the budget of that other thing down and try to figure out how to make it happen. Because if you're just sitting on a script, no one's waiting for you or your project. Unfortunately, I was naive and thought, you know, I was going to walk into Hollywood and people are going to be banging down my door to direct their stuff. And that just doesn't happen. Um, So you gotta, you gotta make your own content and it's, you know, the, 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 industry is tough and the market for films is very, very challenging. So you kind of have to carve your own path. And the only way you can do that is to constantly be pumping out content and as cheaply as you can, because you know, even cheap, tiny budget movies don't make their money back nowadays. It's not the same. You know, we were told fear Inc was a very small budget movie that we made in 2016 and we struggled to, to recoup investors money on that movie and it was well under a million and it sh- it's a horror comedy and it should have, you know, when we first started talking about it, it was like, this is a shoe in by the time we distributed it, it was like, Oh, now there's too many horrors and it's, it's the market's too diluted. And so we were chasing an industry that was changing on us and didn't care that we were making a horror comedy. And then we were told after it was distributed, Oh, if you made this three years before this thing would have made $5 million and you guys would be rich right now. We're like, come on. So, it's just like, you just got to go <laughs> make it. it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. That's the industry. It's like, they don't care about your little movie. Just so just go make the thing that you want to make and do it as cheaply as possible. And don't be precious about the thing. It's got to look exactly like this. It's like, well, it can, but you may never get to do that. So. Yes. Don't be precious. That's a good no. way of putting it. Don't be right. Yeah. And no. by the way, for those who haven't seen Fear Inc., um, we could talk a little bit about that 
little bit later. It's a, it's a good little film. Let's go back a little bit on your career because you, as a director, you have, you have found yourself in the comedy, in the comedy genre. You, you have been, you have been, um, you guys started out doing some funnier die stuff, right? That's, that, that, that's, that's how you kind of got going. Yeah. Um, yeah. I directed, um, I directed a lot of shorts before I got involved with Funny or Die and a couple of them did really well in the festival circuit. And again, you know, being a naive young filmmaker, I thought, well, I've got, you know, one film in particular got into like 50 different film festivals that won a bunch of awards. And I'm like, great, that's it. Then who's, who's going to hire me to direct my first feature? And that never happened. So then this was, this was in 2010, 11. And then I realized the new place at that time to show your content was funny or die was like, that's the place that you show, you know, that was like the number one place for comedy videos in the world between 2010 and like 2015, maybe before Facebook took that away. Um, And so I started doing sketches, which is, which is just a bunch of shorts essentially for funny or die. And, And the first few started off as we would just make them independently and send them to funny or die and Funny or Die would put them on their homepage and anytime you'd get, at that point, you get a video on their homepage, you'd immediately get a couple hundred thousand views on your video, no matter what it was. And so we did a number of those and then we sold a series to them um, and we did we did that. And so, yeah, that so that was like, we really beefed up our sort of comedic sensibilities doing a bunch of those sketches for no next to nothing. We didn't get paid for any of them really. Um, but it like it helped us get Fear Inc. made because we we built you know every time you do a video you work with somebody you've never worked with before or you cast somebody you've never cast in your project or you meet an agent or you uh, whatever it is and you after you do a bunch of those you start to have a big enough Rolodex that you're like I think we could parlay this into a feature um, and so that's kind of the initial like how we got to fear ink what makes you so comfortable in comedy would you say like what is it about comedy that you enjoy uh directing and and enjoy creating yeah i um i've always been a fan of consuming comedy because i think um if you can make somebody laugh i feel like you have a better chance at connecting with them at a different level um in your story um, and I think a, a wonderful example of this, and, and he does do raunchy comedies, is Judd Apatow. And I think he's, he, he is a phenomenal... And, and, and sometimes the, the raunchier, the more profound. His yeah, films. exactly. His, his movies his, are... Some of his raunchiest films are some of the most profound films, I think. They are. His movies are so profound. Uh, and, and you look at the poster and the title and the trailer and you're like, this is going to be a stupid, raunchy comedy. And then you watch it, almost every one of his movies, if not all of them, have such a deeper message and have such real characters that like, as I got older, that was sort of where I, you know, really, really sunk my teeth into like, this is what I want to do. I like telling weird off the wall stories i like genre blends i like getting i like to i like you know telling stories about you know characters that maybe 
you know, people wouldn't know too much about or have lifestyles you don't know too much about. And so comedy, I think, is an easy way, is an easy entry point into that. Uh, not easy to do, but I think for an audience to consume, I think it, it, ha- it has a tendency to be a little bit easier than doing like a straight drama that has no sense of humor. Even my favorite dramas are funny. Like American Beauty is one of my favorite films of all time. And that's a super black, dark comedy that makes me laugh out loud to this day. It's, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And it has some of the deepest messages in a movie I've ever seen. Um, Wait, are we allowed to talk about American Beauty anymore after Kevin Spacey? I know. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? Like, Such a bummer. Watch, like, are we allowed to watch Usual Suspects anymore? Yeah, we- Usual Suspects is up there too. And that's got a great <laughs> sense of humor for two reasons. Brian Singer and Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot. It's, uh, it's a double dipper there. <laughs> yeah, that's a... That's a, I know it sucks. Every time I watch it now, since all that stuff, it, it really is. It's sad. <laughs> but you, uh, so the idea of, of, uh, you know, you, you're, you're, you're drawn to those kind of stories because in, in a sense, what I, what I hear you saying is comedy allows you to tell the stories you want to tell those human stories you want to tell because it, it prepares the audience It gets them, it gets them on your side, gets them open to kind of the other stuff you want to say as a film. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. And I, yeah, I, I'm just drawn to anything that can make me laugh, even if it's massive budget studio stuff, you know, if they've got, if, if the filmmaker has the ability to make me laugh, I'm, I have a tendency to like the project more, the movie more, um, you know, James Cameron's a wonderful example of this. He's such a massive filmmaker. He's got in his films, he's got such a wonderful sense of humor, everything. Terminator two was the first movie I saw as a really, as a young kid that I remember specifically leaving the theater going, something with that movie made me register. People made that. That's not just a magical thing that just appeared. Somebody made that, the visual effects in that, somebody worked on that. And that's when I realized I wanted to be a filmmaker. And Terminator 2 has an amazing sense of humor in it. All of James Cameron stuff does. And then the opposite side of that, I still love him as a filmmaker, Christopher Nolan doesn't. He doesn't have a sense of humor at really at all in any of his projects. <laughs> and that's not a knock. It's just a different Why so style. Serious? Why so everything, serious? everything. The dark Knight is my, probably my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. And it does because it's the jokers and it does have, has to have some level of sense of humor. Yeah. But I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone laughed in Dunkirk. I think. I don't no, think <laughs> they're so serious that I'm just like, you know, I love them, but I'm also like, come on, can't we have a couple jokes in here? But that's just me. I like, you know, that's. Have you, have you seen Tenet yet? No, I really want to see it. I'm really. Thinking about, I'm, I'm thinking about sneaking down to Orange County and seeing Tenet. I don't know. Yeah, I love that we have to like go to a different county to see a movie. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Yeah, have to sneak in. Um, yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Faith Based because I'm excited to talk to you about this film. Uh, you know, first of all, like I was saying earlier, wicked sense of humor. I, the, the, the story actually is very sweet. And I think you guys do a really good job in the film of kind of fleshing out these, these two bumbling idiots. Uh, they're, 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 they're not uh, as superficial as they, as they start out to be in the film. You guys do a nice job of kind of fleshing them out. And so let's, let's go ahead and start with where you guys ended up starting, which is this weird situation you found yourself in where you, you, 
you had just started making the film, right? And you put something out and all of a sudden there's controversy around your little film. All of a sudden you're being attacked. Talk a little bit about, <laughs> for people who don't know, tell everyone what happened to you guys. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, to your first, I think you mentioned at one point you said, um, some, you know, you, you said something about the, you know, making fun of the faith-based film industry is sort of like the backdrop. And that's what we like to say about this movie and even how we went into developing the movie is we wanted to tell a story really that's about friendship and finding your purpose. That's really what faith-based right, right. It's is not, about. It, it's not a movie about, it's not a movie making fun of Christians. It's a movie that among many other things, it makes fun of what we would call the subculture of evangelical Christianity. Right. That's and even that's, and even that's like, you know, a B plot of the movie because right. the A plot is, it, yeah. yeah, right. So, um, so knowing that though, you know, and, and, and getting into pre-production and starting to cast the movie, we show up to, you know, first day of shooting and um, like we do on all of our projects. And this is a tip for independent filmmakers um, sidebar real quick is to always leverage press on your projects and to try and get your projects written up in the trades any way you can. Um, because that is how a lot of the industry will find out about you as a filmmaker is if you're written up in the Hollywood Reporter or Deadline or The Wrap or whatever. So that's a tactic for us on every movie. Day one of shooting, and it's also, it's also a good boost for the people working on your film. So the first day of shooting Faith-Based, we had a Hollywood Reporter article go out that basically told the logline of the movie that the filmmakers who did Fear, Inc. are doing a new movie called Faith-Based and explained the basic premise, and that's it. Um, and, and that was super exciting because we were in the middle of shooting and the thing went live and all the crew was so excited. And that's kind of why we, one of the reasons why we do that too. Well, about two hours after that, uh, Fox news saw the Hollywood reporter article. And I think they probably just looked at the headline, which is, which I think the headline was fearing duo makes a movie is making a movie called faith based. And, and they saw the log line and they decided that's enough for us to write an article. So they write an article, Fox News does, bashing these Hollywood hacks, they called us, because all they know how to do is make fun of Christians. And they wrote this article, which is clearly clickbait, because you go into the comment thread and you see literally thousands of pissed off people <laughs> that we were making this movie. And this is day one of shooting. We didn't even know what movie we were making yet. Um, and let alone like this, you know, Fox, this Fox news writer who didn't seek any quotes, didn't contact the filmmakers, didn't try to find out any more about the movie. So at first we were like, uh Oh, and then that lasted about 15 seconds. And then that turned into, this is incredible. We pissed off Fox and we haven't even finished day one yet. <laughs> And then like an hour after that, Breitbart, who's even, you know, crazier, wrote their own article and those comments were insane. So right away, I mean, they, we were, they literally, they literally had you guys, you know, crucifying Jesus all over again. Like they, yeah. they really oh, thought yeah. that you were going to make fun of God and Jesus and the Bible and the whole thing. They, they, they were portraying, cause I, I read the articles, they were portraying <laughs> it as if, 
because I was like, oh, great. I've got an act. We got act oneers, you know, who are anti Jesus now. And, and that, yeah. that's, not, <laughs> that's not the, that's not this film. It's, it's no. not it at all. No, it's not the film. And um, yeah, it's just, it, you know, of course there's a part of you that's like annoyed that they're pissed off at you for making a movie. That's not the movie you're trying to make. But then the realistic part of me is, is like, they're going to be mad no matter what. And, you know, it's not necessarily a news organization that I have a ton of respect for. So let them be mad because at, at worst, it's just drawing attention to our movie. And that's exactly what it did. Um, Cause then, you know, we were able to get even better cast members because of the fact that we were written up in Fox and Breitbart and pissed them off before we even finished the movie. So it ultimately, like, it put us at a different level in terms of notoriety for the film itself, um, just because they called attention to, to the to the movie. So, yeah, that, that was, like, it, were, it ended up were, being a great were, thing. And you were how many days into shooting when this happened? This was day one. First day of shooting. It was first day of shooting. First day. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I don't even know what we're making here. And you're, you're getting mad at me. <laughs> By the way, though, but I love the response that you guys had. Then you then, whose idea was it to come out with the teaser trailer of, of the two actor of your, of your two leading actors reading the comments from the websites Who, who's, who's yeah so so we so that was you know end of april 2019 and we rushed to we finished filming the movie and we edit the movie and what you know these comment threads keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and we kept checking them every once in a while by the time we got to um premiering at the santa barbara international film festival in january we thought we have to release something to tease you know the people of santa barbara and everyone else that we're getting into, we're premiering at a festival. And we didn't want to release, we didn't want to cut and release a full trailer because we wanted to save that for the release of the movie. So I think at one point Tanner suggested, who's the other star of the movie and a producer on the project, suggested why don't we just do like a mean tweets sort of thing where we just read out the, the worst comments we can find um, and by the way, those weren't the worst comments that they ended up reading because we can't, you can't read those out loud. They're pretty, there are some death threats in there, which is pretty insane. Um, wow, but crazy. so, so we thought, okay, why don't we show about 10 seconds of Jason Alexander and then we're going to pretend that we're cutting into the, you know, cutting the people are going to see the rest of the trailer and then we're going to interrupt it. And then it's just Luke and Tanner staring at the camera for about a minute reading the top 10 worst comments from Fox News and Breitbart about our movie that they haven't seen yet. And so that ended up being a pretty, it ended up being a pretty big deal because a lot of people loved that response. And the best part about that was, uh, and we kind of in the back of our mind, we're like, I wonder if they're, if the, if Breitbart or Fox is going to rewrite about the movie again, because we're calling them out for how bad their comments are again for a movie that they have never seen. Right. So we read the things out and we released the, the trail teaser trailer. And then like an hour after that thing goes live, Breitbart writes an article and they <laughs> verbatim in the article said, we took the bait. We're writing about this again. They're making fun of us. And it was like, oh, sweet. This is great. 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 <laughs> it was super fun. That's great. Well, well, Vince, 
you are a Christian. You're a follower of Christ. Did in the process of making this film, was there ever a time when you hearing people say these terrible things? I mean, death threats. Can you believe that? Did you ever go, wait a second, <laughs> like, am, am I making something that's bad? Like, like, was there, was there a time when you thought to yourself, am I, am I missing something here? Is someone else, um, you know, like I'm, for you, oh, you know, what were your thoughts hearing people say these things and accusing you of things that you knew weren't, wasn't true? Yeah, no, of course there, there are definitely moments of like, am I doing the wrong thing here. Um, but I knew what I was doing and I knew where my heart was. And I knew, I knew we had never intended to make fun of Christians. Um, and I knew, I, you know, uh, and so I kept going back to this idea that like, I think what, what the story we're trying to tell is ultimately more positive than the headlines would say that it is. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, we, I had multiple conversations with Krista, my wife about this and, and she was always such an amazing sounding board. She's like, what are you talking about? If you're pissing off, you know, extreme Christians, you're probably doing the right thing. And, you know, cause that's what, you know, Jesus pissed off a lot of religious people and not that I would ever compare what we're doing to, to that, but it's like, at least you're in the same ballpark. If you're pissing off people that, you know, shouldn't be pissed off and are, are clearly, you know, I, I think for me, the moment where I'm like, Oh, I'm okay. Is when my mother-in-law who, who's, who lives in Kansas, you know, my wife grew up in the Bible belt and grew up with this whole world. And part of this conversation making this movie was like, what are, you know, all of your family members in Kansas going to think um, when my mother-in-law responded to those articles and said, how could they say those things if they haven't seen the movie? And I thought, okay, that's, you know, that's a Christian who understands that this isn't the right way to respond. Uh, that's, that's sort of my litmus test of like, we're not doing anything wrong here. And then, you know, being a part of a faith community and small groups and stuff like that while I'm making this movie, it was a constant conversation and it was always a hundred percent support. We shot at the church that I was a part of. We, you know, had some of them in the movie. My in-laws came from Kansas and are there in a couple scenes of the movie. So, it, you know, ultimately it was like, I had the support of other Christians and it was at that point, it was never a, a question. It was like, I feel like this is what I should be doing. What would you say, what, what do you want people to know about your faith and about what's portrayed in this film? Do you, what, what do you want them to walk away with after watching hmm. this? It's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, this was, I think what I was most nervous about with this movie was admitting that I am a Christian. That, that was, I think when the Fox News article came out, my biggest concern was, and I remember having this conversation with Krista, my wife, I remember saying, I think this is going to be where I'm going to just going to have to stand up and say, I'm a Christian because up until that point, I've been, it's been easy to just not say it and avoid the fact that, you know, I'm just a filmmaker. Right. Um, so this was the first time where I had to blatantly on, you know, all these podcasts and interviews and festivals just straight up say like, I, look, this is, I'm the director of this film and I do believe in a lot of, what these characters believe in this movie. I am a Christian. 
Um, but I do think a lot of Christians do crazy things. I think, you know, a lot of normal Christians do crazy things and it's okay to laugh at it. It's okay to, you know, have a sense of humor, I think, about your faith. And I think ultimately, you know, the sort of themes that we wanted to hit on in the movie in terms of religion uh, are more about like being open-minded and having honest conversations and allowing yourself to question why you believe what you believe, because there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, you should be thoughtful about your faith and you should have questions. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they're wrong. You should absolutely feel uh, compelled to ask as many questions as you want about what you believe, because some of it is weird and crazy and out there. Um, but at the end of the day, I think, I think God honors us when we use our brains and when we, you know, can question something and then still believe it, you know, and that's uh, ultimately like, you know, if you watch the two characters through the movie, you see their journeys and without giving away too much, you see one of the characters start to wrestle with that, as you mentioned. Um, and, and one of the characters wrestles with it in a different way. And I think that's, those are the conversations that I wish Christians were okay having more of, because I don't necessarily well, maybe, feel like that. And I agree with you. And maybe this film, maybe your little independent comedy actually contributes to the conversation, Vince. I mean, we don't know how these things are, but the truth is, is I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, look, I've seen the film. I think it's funny. I laughed out loud several times. <laughs> um, I'll get to the scene that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> the, 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 the I can't wait. But, um, <laughs> but one of the things that I found so interesting to me and that I was so appreciative of you as a filmmaker is faith itself specifically obviously because we're it's it's a christian church it's christians in the film so it's specifically the christian faith is not mocked and in many ways it's revered and the characters that hold to a true faith in the film are some of the most humble heroic interesting you know it's like you you do a really nice job of that and i, I just want to let people know the film is worth seeing Hmm. don't believe all this nonsense that you're reading about i mean some people might not think it's as funny as i did and that's fine but um i think what you were able to accomplish with this film is you were able to poke fun at things that frankly should we should poke fun at you know i i, I in college i heard this phrase and i've held on to it my entire life and i teach it to my kids even today and that is <laughs> Christians should have thick skins and thin hearts. Oh man. Unfortunately, we have thin skins and thick hearts. That's and, good. And and that to me, this your your film is a good example of poking fun at things that honestly should be poked fun at and and looked at and examined why do we do that? You know, why why is this funny? Why is does this feel cringeworthy? And so that brings me to <laughs> <laughs> yes here we go i can't wait there what is, is a fantastic <laughs> scene in this film that is so painful to watch you, I, I have a guess you simulate a <laughs> you simulate a worship service 
and you have a band on stage singing a worship song and it is rough i mean it is in, in the best way possible oh, i love it um can you tell people a little bit about the impetus of that scene we don't want to give anything away but yeah absolutely oh man i'm so glad that you responded well to that uh and again thank you for for all the compliments um yeah it, so there's a scene in the movie where luke and tanner the characters have to go to church uh, to go to their dad, to Luke's dad's church to basically get the church to fund the movie that the faith-based movie that they want to make, which is called a prayer in space. And uh, which is, you know, there's a lot of jokes in that one sentence already. <laughs> the name of the film, the name of their faith-based film is a prayer in space. <laughs> um, so, so they go to, they go to church and of course we want to, poke fun at all these churches that we've been to or been a part of specifically in Los Angeles that are too cool for school. And that was the commentary on any time we were in a church scene in faith-based, we wanted to be like, okay, there are a lot of churches that are just trying so hard. And look, I've been in those meetings. I've been in those meetings where it's like, how do we make this more approachable to people? And what ends up happening is this, you're trying so hard to like kind of obscure the fact that you're a church, but really you're a church. <laughs> more hazer. We need more hazer. More, more haze. <laughs> Don't talk about Jesus in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> like we're going to scare them away. And, you know, and so obviously it's coming from a good place of like, we don't want, you know, so many Christians have done a really bad job at, 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 you know, talking about Jesus and talking about Christianity. So it does have a bit of a, a negative marker to it. Um, so it's coming from a good place, but what ends up happening is you get these places that have such a strong focus on uh, their coffee and, you know, so many places have the best coffee in the world and, and their bought and their, and their reclaimed wood is everywhere. And the worship leader has got tattoos everywhere. And it's like, look, he's hip. He can't be too Christian because he's got tattoos and the worship music is like borderline, you know, what are they singing about? Cause it's not, you know, very so, seductive. Very seductive yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so we wanted to do like, we wanted to do all that and that we tried to hit as many of those things as we could in a short amount of time. So one of the things was, okay, they're going to go in into a church service and they're going to see a worship band playing worship songs. And so our initial thought was, okay, can we license like a hill song or a Bethel song and that every Christian's going to know and non-Christians are going to be like, Oh, that's a, you know, we wanted the song to be good, like good in quality. Um, and then we thought, well, this is an opportunity for another joke. And luckily, Luke's brother-in-law, his name is Ryan Harrison. Uh, he runs and is a part of a, a comedy troupe in L.A. called Lost Moon Radio. And their comedy is all irreverent, all insanely hilarious. And uh, we went to Ryan and, and Luke asked him, he's like, look, we've got this scene. Will you?" And he's a musician. Will you write something? that feels like for the first 45 seconds is a normal Christian song that you would hear at one of these churches. 
And at about 45 seconds in, you hear a line that's like, wait, what? And that was it. And then we sent him music from Mosaic. We sent him music from Bethel. We sent him music videos from Hillsong. That's like, look, this is the look. This is what the, what the band leaders look like. This is what they sing about. And that was it. And then about a week later, he just recorded three songs on his phone and, and sent them to us. And one of those songs was I Hung Across. And that's the song that we chose to oh, use in the movie. And it's uh, probably my favorite scene in the movie. And we released yesterday the full music video for it leading up to the release of the movie. Yeah, it's uh, like, so it's like a music, like a concert music video. Yeah, so when we shot Very the fun. scene, we essentially shot it like a music video. So we cut out that of the movie and did the full length song because in the movie it's only about a minute minute and a half so the music videos you know the full three and a half minutes of the song so so if they, get a, if they want to get a feel of the comedy in this film they can they can just go to youtube and look up I yeah you, you could just look up i hung across yeah. faith-based movie or whatever and it'll it'll show up <laughs> let's talk a little bit about let's nerd out a little bit now for the independent filmmakers because you guys had a specific strategy with this film to go out. You have, you have two leading roles in the film <clears throat> that they're in almost every scene. And then what you did is you, you, um, and you're, and for people to know you're, you're producing and writing partner, Luke, he's an, he's an actor. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, him and, and the other producer, Tannen, they're the two stars of the film. And then you guys had a very strategic plan of filling out the rest of the cast with very familiar, recognizable faces in the comedy world, the acting world. And um, what was the approach to casting for this film? Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we've made a couple movies uh, over the last few years and we, we've come to understand <clears throat> that the value of your film really boils down to who's in it. Uh, at the end of the day, that's all most people uh, most people that would put a value on your movie care about. Um, obviously, that's not why most audiences are, in, you know, most audiences will go see a movie because of who's in it, but they're going to enjoy it because of the story you're telling and, the, and your characters. Um, but so, but when you're trying to sell a movie, especially as an independent filmmaker, you, you know, having value as cast members uh, is important um, and, and it helps you know, you sell your movie and, and attract the attention that you want your film to have uh, because, you know, if someone that's not recognized, if there's nobody recognizable in your movie, then who's going to, it's going to be really hard to talk about when you're not a filmmaker that's made a bunch of massive things that other people have heard about. So that's always been a strategy on every project is to, is to fill our cast members with, you know, to fill our cast with people that have been in recognizable things. So, Knowing that Luke and Tanner were the stars, we're like, great, how do we cast up around these guys? And our first sort of strategic approach was to go after one of the bigger roles in the movie, which is Pastor Mike, played by Lance Reddick, and, who's Luke's dad. And he's got a big role in the movie. And we thought, okay, how do we, how do we attach somebody to this that will, is willing to come out for you know the week or so that we're going to need them? Um, that's recognizable uh, and that will do this for the money that we have, which is basically nothing. And um, 
so our strategy there was why don't we go out this is a comedy so why don't we go after an actor that doesn't typically do comedy in hopes that you know they're not coming out for the money they're coming out because this is they're being offered something that they're not typically offered so we and and we had this idea of like how crazy would it be if luke's family is a black family who adopted this white kid and they're they're an affluent black family who adopts this white kid who ends up being kind of a screw up and we're like i, I haven't really seen that before that that all together i think is an interesting pitch to somebody so and about that same time we we had seen lance reddick in a toys army sketch on funny or die and he's hilarious in it and we thought okay he clearly doesn't do comedy a whole lot but when he does he's incredible so let's throw out an offer and we did and he he responded saying he immediately was like i'd rather play nikki steel or the head of christ flicks because those seem funnier to me and we thought okay if you want to do that we can well of course you're lance reddick we're like huge fans of you from the wire and John wick and all the millions of things you've been in. You could, you could definitely play one of these roles, but at least hear our pitch. So we got on the phone with him. We told him why we wanted to play pastor Mike and he said, okay, and let me read it again. So he read the script over the weekend and called us on Monday and said, I don't want to play Nikki Steele. I don't want to play the head of Christ looks. I want to play pastor Mike. I want to do the movie. And, and that we were like over the moon. And so that was sort of the first domino that fell because when you start, you know, when you're offering a role to reputable actors and all you've got is this pitch deck and Luke and Tanner starring who nobody really knows and a director that nobody really knows, that's not that, and no money, that's not that enticing. But then when you say Lance Reddick is in it and he's also executive producing, they'll pay more attention. And so that's how we started, you know, we ended up getting, David Koechner, who's just like unbelievably funny, and Margaret Cho, who had also heard about it in Fox News before we even offered. So that was like a straight up yes. She's like, I heard about this in Fox. I want to do it, uh, which was crazy. So thank you, Fox, on that one. And then, yeah, and then Jason was also another long shot. Jason Alexander was like just a pipe dream, top of our list, never going to happen on one of the biggest sitcoms of all time, my favorite character on one of the biggest sitcoms of all time, playing this sort of cameo bit that's got this amazing scene at the end of the movie. And it was the same sort of thing. By that point, we had this like really reputable cast to tell him that was in the movie. And he, his agent straight up said, look, it's at least worth sending an offer because he'll read quickly and tell you yes or no. And he doesn't like, he, do, he doesn't chase money for projects like this. He'll, he'll only do it if he wants to do it. So, um, you know, three days later, we got a response from his agent saying he'll do it uh, if you can shoot around his schedule because he's like super busy. And that's how that happened. So it was like a little, it was a, a little bit of luck um, and a little bit of strategy and really having a project that like you're insanely passionate about that I think on the page read as like look these guys are clearly passionate about this story and it's something different we're offering all these people th roles that they've never really we didn't want jason alexander to be george costanza for five minutes in the movie we wanted him to do something different he's playing the leader of a, a shady leader of a of a pyramid scheme so it's like that's different um and that all worked it all ended up working which was which is great because then at the end of the day you now have a movie that you get to say 
all these people are in and your the value is you know next level and you and you with all of your films it seems like you guys kind of have that a snowball approach to casting right like you look at you 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 start to build right so the idea is to get that respected actor and then that once you have that respected actor attached now when you go out to the next actor you can say oh by the way i have this we have this person attached so it's very much is a, is a, you know that's a strategy that you know you use for casting right is the is the snowball yeah. effect of saying it is well, we did it actually, yeah we we did it with our first film fear inc where you know we've got a, a fun opening scene with abigail breslin that we shot six months four or five months after we shot principal photography and again the idea was let's snowball it let's stack the cast shoot as much as we can and then go offer to somebody like abigail breslin um and and then go shoot the opening scene and the same kind of thing with faith base like it's a little bit scary because we're casting as we're shooting in a scenario like that so like you know in the movie luke and tanner are trying to cast the role of god and they're trying to get this character that we made up for the movie called butch savage who's played by david keckner they're trying to cast him in real life we were trying to cast that role while we were shooting it's like, so it's a little bit like you're building the plane as it's flying, as it's taking off, right? Um, but there is something to be said about momentum and running after a project that's already in motion. And so, it, it you know, when we're doing our offers, it's like we're shooting, we, you know, we put a deadline on those offers. So it's not like we're sitting for months and months and months waiting for them to say yes or no, which I know a lot of filmmakers do a lot of filmmakers won't go out and shoot until they've got everything packaged up and do a nice bow and they're spending years trying to get their things made and for us it's like let's set a date let's let's get the cast that we need and the money that we need and then we'll do the rest as we go a little bit scary but is this a film that you look at and you go okay um we want to stay in this genre so kind of going forward as you guys go out, your representatives kind of go out, are you asking them to, to pitch you as a director for uh, other comedies? Are you focused on, or are you just focused on creating your own original stuff? I'm just curious how, how what, what, yeah. what's, what's the future hold for you guys? It's, it's bo uh, both, um, both of those things. Uh, yeah, so our, our strategy going out of Fear, Inc., was we want to be hired to make your stuff or to make our own stuff. So we were pitching our own things and we took a lot of meetings because it was a horror comedy. We took a lot of meetings for other horror films that we're trying to get off the ground that were already set up somewhere and we we're coming in as director or writer and director or director, producer or whatever. Um, and we spent a lot of time driving around town um, do, doing that. And that, and that was fun but we weren't making content. So, you know, so we want to always be making content. And so we already have our next thing that we're like, we want to start shooting in January, February of, of 2020. Like we already have, the script is already either final draft or close to final draft. It's like, we've been developing it this whole time, knowing that faith-based was coming out and we want to use the momentum of faith-based to help cast this thing and get that made. That's always probably going to be our plan is to is to just go make stuff even if it's run and gun no money just because we love making content 
Um, but we've always got in the back of our mind, our managers and agents who always get sent our stuff and understand that's the way we work, but also they want to get paid and they want to get, you know, elevate our status and get budgets to be a little bit bigger and higher caliber, uh, and not have to dance around so many things to get your thing made. Um, so that's always a, you know, part of it. And, and hopefully faith-based will lead to more meetings and more opportunities. We sold a couple shows going out of fear Inc. So I'm hoping that, you know, now the difference now is we have 10 or 15 different things that are like, we know are ready as opposed to fear Inc. We were kind of like, we had no idea what to expect going out of that movie. And we we're kind of scrambling, trying to get stuff together. And now we've got like, We've got plenty of stuff that whether it's meetings or we go make our own thing, um, we're ready for it. It just, at the end of the day, we want to be creating content and we don't want to be hung up by someone telling us when we can go do it. This is something you're hitting on something really crucial that I try to, we talk, try to talk to act oneers about a lot. And that is there's a, there's a, there's a simple kind of rule, which is in this business, an axiom, if you will. And that is work begets work, begets work, begets work. In other words, mm -hmm. get out there and just make stuff, do stuff, take the job, take the opportunity, get in the room, get on the set, meeting people. Um, I, I just find way too many people who keep sitting around, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, waiting for the perfect thing to happen, waiting for all the, all the stars to align, you know, that whole thing. And, and, and I just, my, my, whenever someone asks me, should I take the job? Should I, more times than not, I'm telling them yes, for the simple truth that work begets work, which begets work, which begets work. And it sounds like to me, you guys very much believe in the philosophy of the hustle. You've just got to get out there and create stuff. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's, it's amazing. You know, people in this town um, in Hollywood really only care about what you're creating um, not what you want to do. Uh, nobody's, nobody's like really looking for the next hit script from an unknown person. Like that's not really how Hollywood works. They, they only, Hollywood only bets on proven things and even unknown directors that pop through, you look at their thing at their credits on IMDb and it's like, they've made multiple things before the one thing hit. They're not betting on unknown talent. So you have to go out there and constantly be making stuff. And every time we do this, every time we make something, we are unbelievably surprised with what ends up happening as a result um, that we couldn't even have expected. And we knew going into faith-based, worst case scenario, we're making a project that's going to help us get the next thing made. That was like worst case. We're like, we'll go film this with our friends on iPhones. And we know based off just that, that that will get us some meanings and get some interest on our next thing. And then lo and behold, we're surprised with like, we're shooting on very fancy red cameras and Jason Alexander shows up to do our movie. And that was not part of the plan. And yet that's, that's what ends up happening when you just say, let's do it. Let's just go and make the thing we want to make and not yeah, wait a, for a million dollars. Cause it's right. not coming. It's not it's coming. A it's a quantity game. It really is, it is. a quantity game. It's about, yeah getting getting as much work out there as you can and as you know as a director you don't get that many chances to direct you have to create opportunities 
for you to direct, for you to improve in your craft. So if you're just sitting around waiting for someone to hire as a hire you as a director, I could make the argument that if if by chance that did happen, you're probably not ready because you've just been sitting around. <laughs> like yeah. you need to if, if you want actors to take acting classes, directors need to be directing, writers need to be writing. You need to um, you need to grab a camera and go out with some friends and shoot stuff. You need to you try do. to get get that ex experience is um and then the other thing i wanted to ask you about is having said that it seems like you have found the the partnership that you have uh with luke that seems like something that is also incredibly important is is not trying to take this uh industry on alone but the idea yeah. of teaming with people can you talk a little bit about how you guys came together as a team and the value that that um, uh, he brings to the table in terms of you as a filmmaker and a storyteller and a director. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just goes back to our to your first point um, about you know learning how to produce. It wasn't until I learned how to produce that my directing career started taking off the way it did. It literally, I could mark the season of my life where I'm like screw it. I'm, I need to learn how to make my own content because I'm sitting around waiting for people to tell me when I can direct a movie. And that's ridiculous because I want to be out there practicing my craft just like everyone else. Unlike a writer, you can't do that as a director. So you have to learn how to produce. So I think it's very, very important if you're a filmmaker to learn how to get your own projects off the ground because that's it's, it's an absolute necessity unless you're the son of somebody famous or very wealthy or um, just incredibly lucky. Um, and then in terms of, yeah, finding creative par partnerships, it's very tough. And it took me many years being in LA and working on a lot. That's another reason why you need to make a lot of content <clears throat> is because you learn who you like working with, who you get along with, what type of person you need to be partnered with, what things you're not good at. Um, because yeah, doing it alone sucks. It's not, you can't do it alone. You absolutely cannot do it alone and having a team of people around you that believe in you and support you and complement the things that you're not that good at, um, you know, and that you make better as well. I think that's crucial. And it just, there's no secret sauce to that. It just requires, you know, working on things over and over and over again until you, until you sort of build that network of people that you know you're inseparable, that they don't make you sick and, or they don't annoy you. And, or, you know, the, of course they, people, everyone's going to annoy you at a, to a certain extent, but like you're spending lots of hours with these people. So like, you know, you got to know them and their families and where their hearts are at and what they care about. Cause all those things are going to come to play when, you know, when shit hits the fan and things are tough, you're going to start to see the ugly side of people, yourself included. And, and, you know, just like a marriage, you kind of, you need to work through those relationships and, and it takes work and, you can really create some powerful stuff if you find that team and work at those relationships. And so with Luke, it was, it was sort of lightning in a bottle. The first project we, we worked on, we, we were brought together by a mutual friend and it was the first project I worked on where he was the, he co-wrote and was the actor and I was the director and I was always everything I'd worked on up until that point, I was the last man standing with the project. Always. I was the last person sending emails to try and get people to watch or planning the premieres 
were getting it into festivals or every aspect of till the last day was always me. And when I worked on this funnier die sketch with Luke, he was, he outpaced me at the end and was sending emails and getting people to talk about the project. And I was like, what is this actor writer doing? Like sending emails, like he's sending more emails than I am. And, and that's when I knew I'm like this, there's something different about this relationship. And so that's a, a benefit of our relationship is he just like what, what he's like the energizer bunny when it comes to getting people to talk about your movie or your project and getting people to write about it. And that that's like his forte and he's so good at it. Cause I hate talking about myself in that sense of like trying to beg people to watch your thing. I'm just like, well, I did it. Just, you can watch it. Why do I need to beg you to watch it? And Luke's like shameless. He's like, no, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. It's the best thing you've ever seen. So that's a compliment. That's like, we compliment each other in the, in those areas. So yeah, it's, it's super important and it's not easy to find. Yeah, it's not easy to find, but I think it's so important. And I love the fact that you guys have a great working relationship together. And uh, you've also talked in the past, whenever we've talked, whenever you've come and spoke at Act One, about uh, crew members working with you guys. Like you guys like to work with the same group of people in terms of the way you treat people well on a set. I think it speaks volumes, Vince, to to your character, to who you are, um, in terms of how you treat other people. And uh, I'm just grateful to you, uh, the reputation that you're building, the way you treat people and the stories you tell. So I want to thank you for this time. This has been a lot of fun. It's been great. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And I'm, you know, I thank you, Jimmy. It's, it's like, it's so awesome to talk to you every time I do anything act one related. Um, it's, I I will drop whatever I have because it's, it's so much fun to try and give back. Like act one gave me so much when I went through it. Um, and it's such a great program. I'm so glad you're running it because you weren't running it when I went through it. Uh, and I, I've known you for a while and, uh, yeah, it's, it's so cool seeing somebody with such a great heart constantly, you know, pumping that energy and time into a program like this. Cause it's, it's, it's incredible. So yeah, it's, it's a joy to do this. Thank you, my friend. And faith-based is the film and, uh, you can see it, uh, right now. Uh, anywhere you turn on your TV and find new movies, uh, you should be able to find it. Vince, we end our podcast by praying for our guests. Would it be okay if I prayed for you right now? Absolutely. Thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today, this beautiful day. And so great that we could just spend some time talking with Vince. He's such a great guy. I'm so grateful to him. Uh, God, I just want to pray right now that you would bless Vince, you would bless his, his life. God, I pray specifically for his marriage and his family. God, I pray you would uh, bless the relationship he has with his wife and kids. kids. I pray for God uh, just that you would um, <clears throat> watch over them, uh, watch over his business relationships. Thank you for his partnership with Luke and all the other wonderful people that he, that he works with and at Lone Suspect. And God, I, I, I just ask right now that you would just... Um, Uh, watch over Vince and just be with him. God, I pray for uh, this film. We pray that uh, the people uh, would laugh and, uh, and like Vince and I were saying, um, possibly even have good conversation afterwards about what it says about what it means to be human. And uh, we're just, uh, thanks for this time. Thanks for this day. And um, thankful for Vince and just pray a blessing upon him. Pray this in Jesus name and your promises we stand. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Act One Podcast. Celebrating over 20 years as the premier training program for Christians in Hollywood. Act One is a Christian community of entertainment industry professionals who train and equip storytellers to create works of truth, goodness, and beauty. To financially support the mission of Act One or to learn more about our programs, visit us online at actoneprogram.com. Thank you.